Hello, Pastor White, Grace Baptist Church. Um, just wanted to thank you, first of all, for your faithful love and support to my parents over the many years, supporting them in Honduras. And then wanted to thank you for the opportunity to be able to present this way. This year has been so uh, crazy, uh, but I appreciate the opportunity to be able to at least connect with you of some sorts, and then hopefully, Lord willing, one day we'll get, get up to Canada and be able to visit you personally and see you face to face. Uh, we love you. We appreciate you guys. And uh, Lord willing, we'll see you uh, someday soon. Take, if you would, your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 11. We're just going to look at a few verses uh, towards the end of the chapter. Acts chapter 11. And specifically, I'd like to draw your attention to verse 27. Just like to share a thought that the Lord had kind of opened my eyes to, especially being on deputation. Um, in verse 27 it says, And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to once again open up your precious word, and I pray, Holy Spirit of God, you would stir my heart, speak through me, stir the hearts of those listening as well. I pray you would convict us in the areas we need to change, whether it be ridding something out of our life or adding something to our life, and then give us the boldness to be able to act upon that conviction. And Father, we pray that you would continue to use all of us by your power, by your, your hand of ability upon us, and then Father, also that you would receive all the glory for whatever is accomplished in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. I couldn't help but notice when we came to verse 28 and said there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world. Uh, now, obviously, this is a prophecy from Agabus, uh, from uh, uh, Agabus the prophet, and, and he's signifying and indicating that there's going to be a worldwide famine. The word dearth is not something that we would use on a regular basis maybe in our culture today, but I'm sure you already know that's exactly what it means, is it implies a famine. It, it implies, it's kind of a multi-defined uh, word. It, it implies destitution, which is a poverty so much that one lacks the means to provide for themselves. It also implies, obviously, that famine, which is an extreme shortage of the essentials. And then, of course, that implies hunger. It's a, it's a hunger uh, of, of that, those necessities. And I read that phrase, there was a great dearth throughout all the world. That's exactly where we're at today. Not so much in a physical sense, but certainly, absolutely in a spiritual sense. You can look politically in our societies. You can look in our different communities and our different cultures, depending on which country you're in, depending on which state you're in, and what, what area of the country you're in, uh, here in the Northwest, uh, being, being born in Texas and from the South, 
But having been raised here when my dad was a pastor for 14 years here in the Northwest, this culture that we're in in the Northwest is so vastly different than the South. If you're from the South, you understand that. If you've been to the South, you understand the difference in the culture, especially the Bible Belt. Uh, you know, having gone back many times and visiting my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and so forth in the South, you see, um, you know, little glimpses of the Southern culture. Uh, and then we come back and we, you know, get back to life here in the Northwest. But having been on deputation now and, and been traveling uh, extensively in the South, it's beginning to open my eyes a little bit more to that culture in the South, uh, you know, something that we don't normally see here in the Northwest are billboards uh, advertising the gospel or, or advertising websites to come to know the truth. Uh, are you depressed? Are you this? Are you, you know, uh, searching for truth? You know, connect, you know, connect on this website and Jesus is the answer. And, and it's just something that we're not used to in the Northwest. We don't, we rarely see that. Uh, or even restaurant billboards that, ha- or their signboards that have scripture verses, um, fast food, Sonics, or, or whatever it is, and they'll have a scripture. This is something that we're not used to. But here in the Northwest, there seems to even be much more of this dearth or this spiritual famine that we live. There's a high percentage of atheism in our society. And, and I, I can't help but look at this passage, and that was the first thing my mind went to, was that's exactly what we're in today, is this spiritual dearth. There's this destitution. There's a poverty, spiritual poverty, so much that one lacks the means to provide for themselves. And praise God, that's what Jesus came to do, is provide for our spiritual needs and our destitution, spiritually speaking. We, we can't, we're not smart enough. We don't have enough talent to be able to work our way to heaven. Only by the grace of God pouring out his, his, uh, through His Son and the sacrifice on the cross to provide the righteousnesses that we need uh, to be able to stand before, declare justified before the, the presence of the Father only because being robed in the righteousness of Christ. But this destitution, this spiritual destitution, this, this famine and this lack of, of spiritual hunger and spiritual appetite, uh, I, I've been ongoing witnessing to and trying to connect with um, a work-related acquaintance. And he knows we're going to Honduras. He knows we're Christians. He knows we, we believe in God. We've accepted him. We've invited him many times to church. He's yet to come. But one time he opened up and he, and he said, I'm an atheist. I don't really believe in God. But he's been very kind to us. And he said, I'm surprised you're so kind to us. He goes, I know you believe in God. And you're heading heading to Honduras, and he goes, that's great what you're doing. He goes, but I don't believe in God. And he goes, and yet you're still kind to me. It's a testimony to the contrary, more in a negative sense to maybe many encounters he's had with people who claimed Christ, which is sad. But he said, um, he said, I don't know why I've been searching. He goes, I've been watching all these Christian films. I think they're, they're produced by the, um, the brothers, uh, the ones who've done like Overcomer and, and War Room and uh, Facing the Giants and some of those. And he mentioned some of those, those titles. And he said, I've been watching these. And he goes, I don't even know why I'm watching them. He said, I'm, 
I'm just in this weird place. He's mid-50s. He said, I'm in a weird place in my life. My daughter's moving out of the state. And he goes, I just am, am questioning everything. And I began to tell him about truth and, and, and seeking, seeking truth and, and being able to identify falsehood from truth. And, and just this ongoing witnessing opportunity, I pr- uh, ask that you would pray. His name is Ed. But, but he's longing for something. He's, he's longing for answers in his own life. There's this destitution. There's a hunger for truth. There's a hunger for purpose in life. And, and I believe, number one in our context, if you look, Number one, if you're writing notes, there was a need observed. There was a need observed. There was this, this uh, worldwide famine, spiritual famine, this destitution, this hunger for truth. And I believe that totally indicates exactly where we're at in our world today and in our, our communities all over the world. Honduras, they... Uh, I don't want to get into too much in Honduras culture or Honduran culture, but I'll just say this. There is a, there is a, a high percentage of the young people uh, turning to alcohol and drugs. Um, the family unit is totally confused and, and messed up. The, the men on a normal basis would have bragging rights to have maybe one family, but many other girlfriends, and many children from that. And so many times the homes in Honduras uh, lack a dad altogether. And even if he did live at that place, he's not what the Bible defines a godly father to be and that kind of example. And so at a young age, they're, they're being raised in a, uh, a, a kind of an environment where they're already emotionally lacking something where a father is to fulfill those things and so they turn to alcohol and they turn to illicit relationships and they turn to drugs and, and, and they're just searching for something. So not just in Honduras, but all over the world we see this same thing. But secondly, I want to show you something else. Secondly, There was a decision made. Look at verse 29. Not just a need observed, but a decision made. It says, Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. There was a a determination of this decision that had to be made. I'd say this. We're all making decisions. We all are making decisions, positive or negative. To not, to choose to get involved in spreading the gospel, in being those bold witnesses that we need to be, we're still making a decision that we're not going to get involved. Um, They were determined to send relief. I want you to notice uh, among this decision that was made in verse 29, it says, every man, every man, we all need to get involved. We all need to get involved right now. My dad, uh, August 31st, uh, well, actually, August 30th, he gets behind the pulpit in Honduras. He was preaching to his main church there. And 
Um, he had his notes kind of laid out for his message, and then he got behind the pulpit, and the Spirit of God just kind of stirred him, and he kind of set his notes aside and just preached from his heart. And he said, you know, he encouraged the, the people. He goes, you got you to walk on your own. You have to desire God on your own. You got to stop depending on me to provide for your spiritual food on a daily basis. And yes, there is the biblical, obviously the biblical principle and, and precept of, of the man of God uh, sharing and preaching and proclaiming the word of God, absolutely, and proclaiming truth. But we all have a responsibility to dive into the word of God and want to to uh, should be able to discern the word of God and hunger to know God as the Bereans did to search the scriptures and search the truth. And that's kind of what he was getting at was you have got to stop depending on me a couple of times a week to be able to feed you, spoon feed you. You've got to dive into your Bible on your own. And he said, you got to stop being fearful of not getting involved in the ministry, whether it be Sunday school or other forms of ministry opportunities that were there and needs in the ministry. And yet they found themselves doing so much of the ministry because they lacked the confidence to want to step out by faith and trust God. They just kept on falling back of, of, well, we're not educated enough or we don't have enough experience or enough talent or enough whatever. And so my dad was just really burdened for them and just really preached from his heart. And, and then at the end of the message, he said, if you're willing to allow God to do with you whatever he wills, whatever he chooses, he said, I want you to come forward as a physical testimony, not to myself, but to God that you're willing to allow God to do with you whatever he chooses. And many, many of the people came forward, and my mom being one of the first ones, which I think is ironic because she was a missionary's wife and had already stepped out of her comfort zone to go, but she's, she's tender towards the Lord, and she was the first one to leave her seat and come forward. And after that, many others came forward. I'm not sure exactly how many, but many came forward as a testimony to the Lord that yes, they'll, they will step out by faith and allow God to work in and through them for his glory and to accomplish his will. That was a Sunday night. He preached that. And then he, he went home after the service and him and my mom uh, went home and ate dinner. And then he went to bed and then the Lord took him in his sleep, and he woke up in glory. I feel like the Lord kind of solidified the message that God had stirred in his heart to preach and proclaim to the people by saying, you say this, now you have to. And, and he took my dad home. Uh, and then, of course, everything from there was kind of a whirlwind. My mom left the the country uh, as they were transporting my dad's body back to the States. And, and those Hondurans who had made this promise to God had to fulfill it, otherwise the ministry would die in the absence of my dad and in the absence of my mom. And they stepped up and, and filled the pulpit and filled the Sunday school classes and filled the responsibilities. And to this day, the ministry continues on. And other ministries have begun to be started even in some of the mountain works. My point is this. Every man has to get involved in what God has called them to do. Why? Well, I, I would say, number one, 
the generation, our, our, the generation before us, they're passing away. And it's the responsibility of, of those of my generation as well as the younger generations coming up to step up in those responsibilities and get involved. Every man needs to get involved. The other thing I'd like to point out is, look at this. It says, every man according to his ability. According to his ability. And I love that point. Because it was not an, a, it was not a, an ability or a talent that you had to have. And my, my goodness, if... if before you stood behind the pulpit, if you had to have a full head of hair, I'd be disqualified. Um, I, I'm lacking in those areas. Uh, but at the same time, God is just wanting us all to step up according to your own ability. I, I can't, uh, when, I, when I read that, according to his own ability, I can't help but think about the call of Moses when, when he turned aside to the burning bush to see this great thing, and as he approached, and of course the Lord talking to him and said, what's in your hand? A staff, a staff. Why? Because he was a shepherd. He was tending to the sheep. This staff that was n nothing. You, you can find a staff anywhere. Walk through the woods, you can find a staff. A stick. What's in your hand? And, and it's the very thing that God used. Also think about the woman with the debt who, who was a widow and, and the debtors were coming to take away her sons. And, and uh, she turns to Elisha and said, uh, you know, you got to help me. And, and, you know, and kind of my paraphrasing. And then, of course, Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for thee? Tell me what hast thou in thine house? If you go back and you... You look at the response that she had to Elisha. She said, not anything. And then, and then she finally saw, I believe, the pot of oil and said, save this pot, save a pot of oil. And, and I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us it clarity on that situation. But in my own mind, and, and I'm, I'm not adding to the Scriptures, in my own mind, the fact that she said, not anything, save a pot of oil, to me, indicates a couple of things. Number one, she really didn't believe she had anything. Secondly, she believed that what she did have was of no value. Now, I don't, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. I don't know if she said, you know, in answer to Elisha, I, nothing. I have nothing in my house. And then maybe a pot of oil caught her eye. And she said, oh, save this pot of oil. I don't know if that's what happened because the Bible doesn't tell us. But what I do know is that because she said not anything save a pot of oil, that the very thing that she did have, she did not believe had any value. And I'm telling you, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, that many times the very thing that God wants to use in us, many times the very thing that we don't believe has any value. We look in and say, I can't do what, you know, I can't do what the pastor does behind the pulpit. I, I can't do... Uh, what the staff does. I mean, look how the pastor gets behind the pulpit and he's, you know, he's preaching so eloquently and he seems so confident and it doesn't look like he's scared and it doesn't look like he's nervous. If I was standing back, back there, you know, behind the pulpit, looking at all the, the congregation, man, I'd be scared to death. I couldn't do what he does or, or I couldn't do what, you know, various, and then, and, which is why the Bible says it's unwise to compare ourselves with others. Because in our own minds, we'll end up looking at someone else and going, if I had that talent or that ability or those looks or, or whatever it is or that head of hair, um, then maybe I would get involved. 
Maybe that's the very thing that's missing from my life in my limited understanding of what God's will is and what he wants to do with me. And yet over and over we see where God uses very little to perform a miracle and have a divine working. What about the the young lad who gave up his lunch, five loaves, two fishes, to, to Jesus? Um, we don't have, we're, we're going to feed upwards of uh, over 5,000, just 5,000 men, besides women and children. I would say conservatively that would be 10, 15,000, maybe far more, especially culturally with many uh, larger households, uh, children. So who knows how many were there in, in the crowd? But what is a lunch? We've had some work parties at our church, and a dozen men show up. If someone said, we got uh, a few rolls and a couple of fishes, most men go, eh, probably would be best if I didn't even tease my taste buds with something like this. Because it's not going to go very far, and then multiply that by thousands? Why even offer the lunch? To me, that seems so illogical. But that's exactly what happens. Our logic is always limited. Our thinking is not like God's thinking. Our ways are not his ways. And, and yet God, many times, I, you find over and over in Scripture where he utilizes the very small thing in a person's life. Every man, according to his ability. And then look at this. In, uh, in verse, verse um, 29, then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. There was a determination. There was a, um, a decision that was made mentally, and there was a determined decision. But I, I want to I caution you with this. Many times... We'll make decisions that we don't follow through. I don't know how many times, I'll just confess myself, you know, in front of you, and then maybe many of you can relate. I don't know how many times after a big meal, I've done the duties of a glutton and overeaten. Thanksgiving being a, a great example. Of course, we don't want to change anything with Thanksgiving. That's, that's kind of tradition, right? But many times you eat so much, have way too much dessert, you're sitting there, you're hurting. You, you're, you don't even feel good. And there's a decision or determination that occurs in your own mind. And you go, tomorrow I'm going to uh, eat healthy. I, I, I've, I've made the decision many times, like tomorrow I'm fasting. Tomorrow, I'm not eating anything because I've obviously had enough with this meal to last me for a week. I'm not eating anything. Then tomorrow comes around and I wake up and my first hunger pains hit and I'm like, well, maybe salads. I'm going to eat salads. Okay, so maybe not fasting. I'll eat salads. And then you go to work and then your coworkers out of the blue buy a box of Krispy Kremes to share with everyone and you walk by and you smell that glaze and you're like, well, not salads necessarily. Salads today. Maybe... 
uh, you know what, it's midweek. Who starts a diet midweek? I gotta wait till Monday. In that case, I'm gonna eat six donuts. And then you overeat. My, my, point, my point is this, is that many times we make decisions and we can even be mentally determined. But if our heart's not in it, then we'll, we'll go against that decision that we've made. And there, is, there was this determination. And this is what, this leads us to our third point. Look at verse 30, which also they did. There was a need observed, yes. There was a decision that was made. But thirdly, there was a promise kept. There was a promise kept. And let me just encourage you to, uh, you believers who might not be as involved as, as much as you need to. And I, I know many times we've maybe sat in the pew and, and heard our, our pastor preach or heard a message preached. And we were stirred and we thought... That's, that's what I need to add to my life. Or this is something I need to get rid of my life. It's distracting me. So I'm going to rid this from my life. And we make a mental decision. We make this determination, but we never follow through. Can I just encourage you? Do something now. Do something now. A promise kept, which also they did. Start now. Don't wait. Don't wait till Monday's diet. Don't wait till to a better time, a better season. When springtime comes or when the, when the winter comes and we have more time or make, the, make whatever excuse you want. We're good at that. We're good at painting whatever we need to. I don't know about men, you men, but I don't know how many times I've walked through Home Depot, looked at the Milwaukee tools and justified, I need that tool. This is going to be a blessing to me. This will help me in the ministry. This is a benefit. This will strengthen my family. I need, I need these drills and I need this matching bag and I need these matching tools and whatever. We can justify whatever we want to. But the truth is, is that when God stirs us and the Holy Spirit of God convicts us according to his, his word, we've got to implement this right now. Don't wait. A promise kept. Do something now. And, and by the way, if you're not doing hardly anything to get involved in spreading the gospel and being a witness that you need to be, don't expect that you're going to stand behind the pulpit and start preaching. How about you just take a track out? Just, just decide that you're going to pass out. Uh, even my son, uh, my youngest son, can walk up and once he uh, is determined that he's going to pass out a track, then he'll get nervous. You know, even him, he can walk up and go, I would like for you to have this, or this is a good message, or this is, this is for you, and walk away. By the way, the Bible makes very clear his word won't return void. Our word will. Our illustrations. So forget about the introduction. Forget about how polished you think you are. How smooth we think we are, salesmen, and our sales pitch. No, that's not going to win a soul. God wins the soul. God gives the increase. His word won't return void. Do something now. We are living in a desperate dearth, spiritual dearth in our societies, in our, in our world today. There is a need. What are we going to do to get involved? And then lastly, verse 30. It says, which also they did. And then notice this. And sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. There was a vessel sent. There was a need observed. There was a decision made. There was a promise kept. But lastly, there was a vessel sent. I, uh, 
our family were going to Honduras. God's called us to Honduras. And um, we, I think you could say, are a vessel being sent. But the truth is, is that all of us should be vessels being sent. Not so much across the seas, but sent to our neighbors, a sent to our community. Uh, you know, I think there's, in with this illustration, there's, um, I think there's a uh, misconception about faith. Many times people say, they'll look at us, and, and, and we've heard this many times, they say, that's a big step of faith that y'all are taking. Well, faith is a reflection of the individual, um, but faith is basically trusting God to accomplish something that we in of ourselves cannot, right? That's what faith is. That's what, in salvation, faith to the grace of God. Grace saves us. Faith doesn't necessarily save us. Faith is the vehicle used to access the grace of God, and then he saves our soul. We put our trust and our faith in, in the Lord Jesus and, and confession and so forth, but my point is, is that uh, Colossians says, as you have therefore received Christ, so walk ye in him. Or in other words, in the same manner as that you received Christ, you, you came to know the Lord, continue that pattern in your Christian life. And faith is simply accessing the grace of God to accomplish something miraculous in our life, especially when it comes to the very thing, the, the, according to your ability. Well, um, give this illustration. You know, it'd be like if I had someone come up and lift weights and I had this Olympic bar, we threw on 45 pounds, the bar's 45 pounds, the weight plates are 45 pounds for those of you who work out and you know what I'm talking about. Um, it weighs 135 pounds, and if I said, okay, I'm going to have a volunteer come up and I'm just going to you know, lift this, deadlift it up, which just means you reach down, pick it up, and put it back down. And we put 135 pounds, they do that, and we throw on another 45 set of 45s, which makes it 225, and they lift it, and then you put on another set of 45s, and that's 315, and they lift that. It's getting a little bit harder, and basically we're going to see how much can you lift. And then we throw on another set, that's 405, and they, 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 they lift it, it's a little bit slower, it's a little bit more difficult. And then we put on one more set of 45s at, one, at 495, and we put on two and a half just to make it 500, right, illustration. And then someone actually act, you know, picks it up off the ground. It's a slow lift, and they, they're shaking, their knees are shaking, but they actually lock out and they get it up and then they drop the weight. That's their max. They can't do any more. 500 pounds. Then we bring out this hoist and we say, now we're going to put this hoist on and we're going to lift this. The, the hoist is going to lift, 20,000 pound hoist is going to lift whatever you can't. Now the question is this, how much do you want to add to the weight now, to the bar? How much do you want to add? For the individual who would struggle and say, I struggle at 500. Yes, but you have a 20,000 pound hoist that's going to lift this weight for you. So how much you want to add? 515? For those in the audience would go, 515? Why would you pick 515? It's a 20,000 pound hoist. The hoist is going to lift anything you cannot lift. That would include fatiguing your muscles out where you couldn't even lift the 500 anymore. It will lift for you. Pick a number. Pick it. What will it be? 600? 700? It's a 20,000 pound hoist. How about not 1,000? 5,000? 10,000? How about we just max it out and say, let's throw on 20,000 pounds. I want to see what 20,000 pounds looks like on an Olympic-sized bar. 
Let's go get another bar. Let's, let's, let's really put this to the test. And my point is this. As individual Christians, we step out by faith, and, and faith is simply saying, I'm going to trust God to accomplish something in us that we cannot accomplish in ourselves. And so the question comes back to us and go, what are you going to, what are you going to trust God for? Well, I'm so limited. Yeah, 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 that's, that's all irrelevant because we have, a, we have something that's going to lift us up that's not limited to 20,000 pounds. He's infinite. God can, we, if, if we ask everyone in the audience, how many of you believe God can accomplish anything in our lives? Every hand probably would go up. Amen. Do you really believe that? Amen. And then when it comes down to push comes to shove and we're, it's time to go, let's trust God then and just stack this bar on. There's, there's, God can accomplish anything. We go, uh, but I can't, I can't lift over this amount. I'm limited in my ability. Faith is simply accessing God and trusting God to accomplish something in and of ourselves. So someone says, that's a big step of faith, going to Honduras and moving your family to Honduras. Yeah, but not when we're trusting a God who can do anything and who is unlimited. We look around us, we see there's a need. The need's there. We make a decision. What's our decision? Let's all get involved and trust God to accomplish something in us that we'll look back and go, yeah, that was all God. I don't get any credit. God gets all the glory. We'll see souls saved. We'll see lives changed. God gets the glory, not us. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to preach from your precious word. Holy Spirit of God, continue to stir us Continue to do a work as only you can. And Father, help us to be very, very mindful that when something amazing happens and we see your miraculous hand working and another soul is saved or in ourselves we see we're accomplishing things where we know our own limits, then Father, help us to be very mindful and be very quick to give you the praise and the glory. For it's in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.